Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the chance for us to be together this evening, and I pray as we continue on in our service that, God, our hearts will be open, Lord, that we will learn some things tonight, God, that don't just help us academically, but that help us spiritually and help us in our walk with you and to deepen it and to strengthen it. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you give Frank and Annie and Reggie a hand for leading us tonight? Do you need your sheets? Who needs their sheets for tonight? Did you get your fill in the blanks? If not, raise your little hand, your precious but little hand. And one of these semi-trained, semi-professionals will get it to you. While they're passing that, those out, I don't know if Clayton mentioned this. This is, Clayton has been here 10 years now. Surely he didn't mention that, but. And next Wednesday night, right after church, we're going to have a reception for Clayton and Mary. And for some of you who don't know what that is, that's free food. Just come. But it is also a chance to get to honor Clayton and Mary. Uh, Folks, we're really blessed as a church of how long tenure. We have a lot of people been here a long time, and that's that's a wonderful thing. And. So please mark that on your calendars. We'll be sure to remind you on Sunday, next Wednesday night, right after church, we will have a reception for, for Clayton and Mary. Okay, we're talking about the end of times tonight. We talked about it last week and probably going to wrap it up next week, talking about the, uh, the second coming of Christ, the final judgment, and looking at this from the theology understanding the study of God and the end of times. If you remember, a big word we learned last week was eschatology. Say, pronounce that with me, eschatology. See, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out this week and impress some people with your theological words. And Rustin, really and truly, that would, that would probably get you some, some uh, high fives from people. Eschatology is the science of last things. It's the science of last things. It is the study of or relating to the second coming of Christ, the resurrection of the dead, the final judgment, and the end of the world. As we looked last week and we looked this week, and next week we're going to try to determine some ultimate views for for, uh, where you may be on some of these things. But those... Would you agree the second coming, the judgment, the resurrection of the dead, the end of the world are, are significant events that will impact you in one way or the other? So we're, we're, we're looking at these, not that we're going to figure everything out, but that we can have some major understanding of these issues. Just a quick review. There are some non-negotiables for orthodox. Orthodox means mainstream belief in regards to Christ's second coming. Non-negotiables, in other, th- in other words, these, for people who claim to be believers of this Bible, these are non-negotiable in regards to Christ's second coming. When was Christ's first coming? Christmas, right? He came as a baby. The Bible says he's going to come again as a, a reigning king, isn't he? A second, the sec, hence the 
second coming. Remember last week we talked about here's five things. The second coming will be a literal event. It'll be literal. It's going to happen. What's the difference in literal and figurative? How many of you figuratively have been on a diet this year? (laughs) I won't even ask you literally how are you doing because I'm with you if you're struggling. Secondly, visible. The second coming of Christ, the Bible says, will be visible, right? It'll be visible. It will be universal. I lived in Texas for years. Texans are wonderful. Carla's from Texas. No, Carla's from New Mexico. Greg's from Texas. Texas is wonderful, but sometimes Texans might think that only they will see the second coming of Christ. We will see him in Louisiana. Isn't that wonderful? We will. And it'll be unexpected, unexpected. Wait a second. You have a Sunday school teacher who's told you when it's going to happen, haven't you? (laughs) They lied to you. They lied to you. Jesus said, no one knows including me, him, not Chris. And always, I love what a theological professor, theology professor said when I was in graduate school. He said, I'm going to take the position of Jesus, and if he didn't know, I don't know. That's pretty good, isn't it? And number five, it's imminent. In other words, it, it could happen any time. It could happen any time. And you might say, well, don't X, Y, and Z have to happen before Jesus comes back? Uh, we don't know if X, Y, and Z aren't happening right now. Jesus could come back anytime. The apostle Paul was expecting Jesus in his day. I didn't put this in your notes. I'll try to next week, but you might even write this in. When the Bible talks about the last days, now, if I just, all I did was listen to modern uh, Christian teachings or read books, I would think the last days is just talking about from 1975 till now. Paul said he was living in what? The last days. The last days literally is from the time of Jesus' death and resurrection uh, until he comes again. So that, that may be another 2,000 years. It may be one more day, but that's the last days. Does that make sense? Are we living in the last days? Yes. Was Paul? Well, he said he was. Yes, so he, he, he was. These five foundations are totally consistent with all of Scripture. Remember, we learned a fancy word last week, hermeneutics. I forgot to, let me spell that for you. I didn't mean to use that as a blank, but I did, didn't I? H-E-R-M-E-N-E-U-T-I-C-S. You hate to got that word in a spelling bee. Let me spell it one more time. H-E-R-M-E-N-E-N-E-N-E-N-E-N-E-N-E-N-E-N-E-N-E-N-E-N-E-N-E-N-E-N-E-N-E-N-E-N-E-N-E-N-E-N-E-N-E-N-E-N-
pause and look at me. How many of you think that's extremely important? You want the Bible to speak for itself, don't you? That's the best. And, and folks, on the end of times, that's gigantic. Eisegesis on the next page is reading our meaning into the text. That's easy to do. Eisegesis, reading our meaning into the text. Again, this next paragraph will be something you could use on somebody tomorrow at work, and it would impress them. To understand the Bible and hence theology correctly, your hermeneutics needs to come from good exegesis. To understand the Bible and theology, the study of God correctly, your interpretation of the Bible needs to come from good study of the Bible itself. Always try to let the Bible say what the Bible is saying. I don't know many people, but I've heard a few who would even look at something like John 3.16 and try to say something different. John 3.16 says what it says and means what it says. Amen? I mean, that's as plain, plain as it could be. This is crucial in every way you study the Bible, and it's certainly true when it comes to the end of time studies. A lot of times when people are trying to figure out the end of times when Jesus is coming back, their approach to Bible study is, is not good. It's inconsistent. You, you need your, your interpreting of Scripture always to be let the Bible speak for the Bible. Now, so let's, let's jump into the end of times. Matthew through Jude... What comes after Jude? Psalms? Revelation. Matthew through Jude are fairly simple and easy to grasp on the end of times. That's my opinion, and I don't, I, that may be an overstatement. I don't mean that it is for me. I, I mean, it's not as complicated. I think you're going to agree with what I'm fixing to say. The real challenge comes when you add Revelation to the mix. You agree? <laughs> if you had 26 books in the New Testament, it would be fairly easy to put together what you believed about the second coming. <laughs> Revelation is the one. By the way, Revelation is the only book in the Bible that promises you you will be blessed if you read it. Do you know that? It's in chapter 1. You'll be blessed by reading these words. So it's very important. It's in there. And, of course, Revelation is a huge part to understanding the end of times. You must deal with all 27 books. There's 27 books in the New Testament to properly understand the end of times. Now, that, that's very important. You can't just look at Revelation and Old Testament chapters in the book of Daniel. You can't just look at Revelation or a, a few chapters in the book of Daniel and come up with what you believe on the end of time. If you want to do it properly, you've got to, you've got to look at the whole. Does that make sense? You've got to look, look at the whole, and you've got to do this with everything. When you look at Revelation, and again, I, I think you would agree with this if you read this, this book much, chapters 1 through 3 and chapters 21 and 22 are fairly easy to interpret. They're pretty, especially 1 through 3, pretty practical. God's blessing and rebuking the fire out of those churches, seven churches. You're, you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Every person who's ever dipped or chewed understands that, right? They understand 
that, the lukewarm. Chapters 4 through 20 are pretty hard to grasp, aren't they? That's where you get into, you get into some stuff that's, that's difficult. But Revelation was not written to be easily understood. Now, so you go, okay, we'll try to ex- explain why. It's apocalyptic literature. We touched on this last week. Apocalyptic literature is highly symbolic. It's highly symbolic. Such as seven stars are seven angels. Revelation 1, 20. Revelation chapter 1, verse 20. Is it behind me? No. There it is. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. That's symbolic, isn't it? That, that's symbolic. He's not talking about literally seven stars or seven lampstands. He's talking about angels and churches. Now, the problem is in other places in the book, he doesn't explain this, does he, like he, he does there. If anyone tells you revelation is easily understood, never buy anything from them because they are either dishonest or dumb. Amen? One of my best friends in my second church, and he was a wonderful guy, but he was obsessed with the end of times. And he told me one time, Chris, revelation is easy to understand. And I remember saying, stop. I don't ever want to hear anything from your mouth again because <laughs> you, were, you were blowing smoke at that point. It, it's, it, wasn't e- it, it wasn't written to be easy to understand. That's a key issue with Revelation. Occasionally with other scriptures is what do we interpret literally or figuratively? Now, this is real important. You always lean toward the literal interpretation unless... unless it's clear that's not what's intended. I'm going to give you some examples in just a second. You always lean toward the literal interpretation. Let's go back to John 3.16. Tell me if you think this is literal or figurative. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Brandon, should that be taken symbolically, figuratively, or literally? Literally. Absolutely, it should be taken literally. Thou shalt give your tithe to the pastor, literally or figuratively? <laughs> figuratively, I heard you. <laughs> okay, why was Revelation written in such an apocalyptic, symbolic style? Well, here's a really good theory on this. God and the author were writing this to Christians in the first century. Now, it doesn't mean it wasn't for you and me at all, but that's who their original recipients were. And they were possibly writing in a way that the Christians would understand it and the Romans could not. This was meant to be protective of them because the first century they were getting persecuted very heavily. This is one prominent theory that holds some real weight. Let's go back to the literal and the figurative. Jesus is the vine. John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Somebody tell me, Jesus as the vine, is that figurative or literal? It's figurative. Now, this is a true story too. Jesus also says he is the door, correct? 
literal or figurative? Figurative. I had a person many, many years ago say, you don't know that that's, that, that that's not meant to be literal. And I said, I absolutely know that's not meant to be literal. Jesus is not a two-by-four that you're going to push through to get in a place. Amen? Now, it's nicer. I was Christian, but that's how I felt. That's symbolic. That's figurative. It, Jesus being the door means he's what? He's the way in. Jesus being the vine means what? It's the source of life. He is the source of, of what we need. Okay, here's another one. In Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats. I call that the ministers and the deacons. Who would be who? <laughs> okay, in Matthew 25, is he talking about literal farm animals? Sheep or goat? No, what he, what's he talking about? Somebody tell us. Christians and non-Christians. That's right, Frank. It's talking about lost people and saved people. Here's a really significant one. In John 6, 53 through 56, I'm going to read this to you. John 6, 53 through 56. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man... And drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. How many of you believe that's symbolic versus literal? You may or may not know this, but... Early, the early church was accused of cannibalism. Did you know that? Because of this passage. Well, they're saying you're supposed to eat the flesh and drink the blood. Some people have taken that literally that the Lord's Supper becomes the blood and the, the body of, of Christ. What that's talking about is it's talking about that when you, when you cross that line with Jesus, you are taking his life on. You are, you are consumed with Jesus. I just want to pause and ask you this evening. First of all, you may have been sprinkled, baptized, christened, all that. That's fine. Have you ever ever come into a relationship with Jesus that it was consuming of your life? Did did you take him in? Are are you consumed with him now? Is he he got control of you and, and they... Eat my flesh and drink my blood is not literal, but it's figurative of being consumed and of consuming Jesus. That's, that's what we need to do. So it's Jesus and the author are not spiritualizing, but they're, they're using a symbol to illustrate the truth. Okay. There are four major ways people try to interpret the book of Revelation. And this is, this is significant as you look at the book of Revelation. Because whether you realize it or not, if you've studied this much or you've tried to, you fall into one of, one of these four categories. These are funny words that, that are not, these are theological words. You're not going to hear a lot of these on the street maybe. But a, a preacherist, a preacherist looks at the book of Revelation. It says the, the events in Revelation took place almost entirely in the first century. Most of the book and what's talked about has already taken place. Not a lot of people buy into that. I don't buy into that. 
I think certainly some of it applied then and was happening then, but I don't think it was primarily. Here's the second view, and that's the historist. The book is explained as a long chain of events that are taking place from the first century until the end of times. The futurist looks and says, obviously, God through John was writing to them then, but it's, it's apocalyptic and it's a prophetic book, so it, it has a, a course that started then and will end at the end of times. That would be my primary understanding of it, a historist. A futurist, this book unfolds and is explained what primarily takes place at the end of times. A modern novel book series by a popular author, that's the view. That's the view of a lot of people. You know who I'm talking about? Who? Clayton Owen, Tim LaHaye, or Brandon Ramsey? Tim LaHaye, right. And, and that's, not, that's, a, that's a pretty popular view that I think it can be a little dismissive of the fact that, well, some of that was happening then and it did have a message then. But the futurists and the idealist is the view that the book is it's symbolic. It's a picture of, of the war between good and evil. And I think we would all say there's some of that in there, but there's, there's much more than that in there. I hope this is beneficial. It's beneficial if you're, if you're serious about wanting to understand the end of times and you're wanting to understand Revelation. Next week what we're going to do is we're going to look at we're going to look at the basically the five or six major ways people believe everything's going to unfold at the end. I'll ask you to chew on this. Are you a premillennial, an all-millennial, post-millennial? If someone ever asks you that, just say, I'm a pan-millennial. I believe it's going to all pan out in the end, right? <laughs> are, you, are you pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib? You don't know? Come back next week, and we will try to figure that out. I want to ask you this evening, uh, the whole thing of the book of Revelation, and the way it brings itself to a close is that we're never going to figure it all out, but you better be ready because Jesus is coming back, and you better be ready. And that eternity is for eternity and that you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I, I remember a professor saying one night he went home and he read through the book of Revelation. That in itself was very impressive to me when I was 24. But here's what he said. He goes, you know what? We win. <laughs> we win. When you, when you read the, to chapter 22, we win. So I want to ask you, are, are you on the winning team? Do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? And if not, when we stand in a moment, we sing a, a brief moment of invitation Maybe you want to come give your life to Christ this evening. Maybe you'd like to join the church, or maybe, maybe as a Christian, you need to be reconsumed with Jesus once again. I want to challenge you to, to make whatever decision that you need to make. We'll, let's stand, and we'll be down here waiting for you.